Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash something new. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You should totally do it. joining Something New, a musical theater podcast where I, Joel B. New, invite an exceedingly talented friend over to my new favorite place, the beautiful True Voice Studios NYC at Columbus Circle. We chat a bit, and then we learn and record a song from one of my latest projects, which we end up premiering right here for your listening pleasure. Today's guest artist is an actor and playwright. His most recent credits include Eager to Lose, a burlesque farce in rhyming verse, which just ended an extended run off-Broadway at Ars Nova, his critically acclaimed solo play, Handbook for an American Revolutionary, which ran off-Broadway at the Gem at Judson, and his much-buzzed-about dry comedy web series, Roger the Chicken, co-produced with Emmy winner Carrie Preston. He's also appeared on Comedy Central and the Sundance hit Another Earth, and has written for Nickelodeon and WWE. He was the host of MTV's Epic Fail until focus groups thought he was too, quote, smart funny. He is a member of the 2014-2015 Ars Nova Playgroup. Obviously, I'm talking about Matthew Lee Erlbach. Matthew Lee Erlbach, thanks for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And you have a very NPR-worthy voice, I just want to say. <laughs> Thank you. I listen to a lot of NPR. I feel like I should be driving right now <laughs> with the window open. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, on your way to the Trader Joe's. Right, exactly. Right? So if you see me do this or swear at someone, uh, <laughs> if I start swearing, it's not my turn. It's well, we, we encourage okay. all sorts of language here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank Good. you. Thanks for being here. Oh, it is my pleasure. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, I asked uh, Matt to be here because he does so many things, as you just heard. Um, and I just want to dig right in with, Matt, what is your background? Like, did, did performing or writing precede the other, and, and, and why did one come before the other? Yeah. Um, well, acting came first. That's the egg or the chicken, however you want to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. render that. We're going to talk about chickens uh, later. We'll talk about chickens later. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, I went to school for acting and for opera at uh, University of Illinois, and then I transferred to the Boston Conservatory of Music and did musical theater and voice there. Then I transferred back to the University of Illinois because I realized I didn't want to do musical theater, so I studied acting and um, African-American studies there. And I just wanted to, I just wanted something a little more academically challenging and mm-hmm. you know artistically challenging and it's it's a great school U of I is an awesome school and um, I started writing there because I realized that what I wanted to say as a citizen and a storyteller I couldn't necessarily do through acting so I just kind of started writing and then when I got to the city um, I, I came here as a performer I got my first agent as a performer um, doing you know straight plays and musical theater and stuff and then eventually 
I was like, I really got to prove myself as a writer because I really want to do this. And, um, and then that started taking off. And so I had to kind of start doubling down on that and then try to find a balance between the two. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. I kind of made a career change and now I'm trying to, you know, find the balance between both, which has been a, it's a fun challenge. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love seeing, you know, your name pop up and it's like, it's like, he wrote this, he performed this, he wrote and performed in this. He it's- just got arrested. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I, I hear you. Um, so how did solo work become part of your wheelhouse? Totally accidentally. I, 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 you know, made a joke as I was working on Handbook, um, which is the solo play Handbook for an American Revolutionary. Which was great. Thank you. Um, that I really don't like solo theater. Um, but I don't think I understood what I was saying when I was saying that because yeah. it's, it's a really raw, pure form of storytelling. And it's, I mean, you are relying on, it's just you and the audience mm-hmm. and space, obviously. So, you know, what I was doing was playing these 12 different characters. I had gone around the country meeting these um, uh, these Davids versus Goliaths, you know, from the migrant field worker in San Joaquin Valley to the mountaintop removal activist in West Virginia to the white nationalist in Alabama to the Pakistani taxi driver who was a soldier in Swat Valley fighting terrorists. You know, there... I wanted to show the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, and you know who we were and how these battles were reshaping our nation. So that was that was the you know the kind of uh, citizen context of what I was doing, and I realized you know I, I feel really close to these characters. I, I I feel like I hear the world as a writer, but I feel the world as an actor. So doing this play was really a perfect combination of that, and. Um, it was it was a real uphill battle to get this play produced. I mean, we had, uh, you know, there were, it was supposed to happen and then it didn't happen, and then people really liked it and wanted to do it, but then backed out. And mm-hmm. then last summer, um, Zach Lax and um, Anthony Francavilla, um, I like saying his name the Italian way, they <laughs> came on as, and produced it, and Tony Speciale directed it, a, amazing director and. Um, we had a great stage manager, Jane Davis, and a great dramaturg, uh, David Bruin, and an awesome assistant director, Jenny Meter. I mean, we really – we had an awesome team all around. Um, so, you know, it was uh, it was a really great experience, and I realized that that kind of direct storytelling um, is really satisfying. And being able to do these stories justice mm-hmm. and to have complete um, – as a writer and as an actor, to find the nuance and – Every aspect of that as a, yeah. as a, as a generative artist was really um, a huge responsibility. And I'm working on another play now that's another solo play. I know. So, I saw that. I was, yeah. like, I was like, is this going to be a, a Matthew Lee Erlbach thing? Trade? I don't know. I mean, you know, there's people, you know, I, I look at Danny Hawk. Obviously, I did uh, his first kind of narrative play uh, several years ago, Till the Break of Dawn. And, you know, he's, he's, he's an awesome artist. And uh, Anna Devere Smith, obviously, and Sarah Jones. And, you know, the list goes on. But these just transformative actor, writers are doing something that's really appealing. And I really like that. And, yeah. I, and it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's a happy accident, really. I mean, it's yeah. not something I pursued in, intentionally. But, you know, I'm really happy that handbook was successful and you know i kind of take that with a grain of salt and now i move on to the next piece and i'm like you know i i kind of do like this it's a really fun challenge yeah investigating something uh, fully like this for me gives me um 
it's a, it's, a, it's a quest. I feel like I'm on a quest. And this next thing, Gods and Robots, is about technology and religion and mm. people affected by it. And, um, you know, it's and, – and how do you how do you do something like that without it being about – because you don't want to be an essayist on stage. Right. I mean, you can do that, but that's a different thing. That's not what I'm doing. Yeah. And so um, that's, that's the challenge for me is making sure that these uh, – you know, you can you – can, you can read an article about it, but what is what is theater worthy about it? So mm-hmm. that's what I really like is trying to crack that nut and discover that. So really exciting. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a, a lot of really cool people who who helped you bring Handbook to life. Yes. Do you feel do you feel that solo work is less collaborative or more so? Or um, I think it's less collaborative, and I think it's more collaborative. I mm-hmm. think that you're. I don't know. I, I don't know. I've only done it once, and I don't. I don't, I don't want to say that I have all the answers. I think I, I don't even know. I don't even remember the experience. I was so like, <laughs> we're just we're, we're moving so fast. It was like a snowball rolling down a hill, yeah. or a big mountain. Um, it was really collaborative. I mean, I you know, as just I, I have to say, this was actually a little different because I'd been working on this for three years. So the 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 acting work had largely been done because I'd living with most of these characters, yeah. but Tony really helped sculpt what I was doing and having that and his such, such a smart eye was really helpful in, you know, pulling back some things and, you know, making uh, broader some things and, you know, just really, we're just going for truth and having David who we lost to Yale this year, he's his first year he's dramaturg. Um, you know, helped kind of find the balance of the script to make sure that the it, everything that everything that the script was continued to get more rooted in the truth mm-hmm. of these people and the humor of these people. You know, I like to call the play a dark comedy because it, it is also very funny. It's not oh, yeah. people standing there and you know railing against the system. It's not that at all. It's you know, hopefully, a very detailed portrait of. Um, you know the kind of absurdity of of, of these circumstances and, yeah. and and how people are fighting. So, you know, there's there's a lot of humanity in there, and Absolutely. that's that's through the it's through the writing, but it's all, it's really through the acting because that's the vessel that people are looking at. So, when you're in the rehearsal process for a solo work, um, do you have at, at what point do you do you find yourself turning the writer off and the actor on, or are they both in the room pretty much all the time? Um. I really, I don't know. I'm going to give an answer, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to be the wrong answer. But <laughs> no. I feel like I turned the writer off, um, and I'll actually say that I, I did a good job of that because at that point I was like, "How the fuck am I going to remember all of this? Yeah. I gotta, I gotta remember all this for an hour." So I don't want to be changing anything anymore. Right, right, I just want yeah. to get off freeze book, it and go. freeze it. But we couldn't do that, and then things were happening that you know we had to respond to and that's kind of the challenge of a piece like this that's so living is that when a circumstance changes like you know at the time we were um you know Chelsea Manning had was in the news and hadn't been convicted yet and Edward Snowden you know this stuff had just come about so you know we had to react to that yeah, and, and all yeah. of a sudden you know 3 years ago when I was talking about drones when I'd started writing the play it was kind of like a maybe a conspiracy thing, like, oh, yeah, there's un- unmanned aircraft, and now everyone knows about it. So, you know, we had to scale that back because there's nothing new there. Everyone knows this. It's just kind of kicking a dead horse. People know what drones are. People know what PTSD is. If, you know, there was a Winter Soldier um, 
conference, I guess you'd call it, maybe six, seven years ago, and um, that really talked about PTSD, but it wasn't in the zeitgeist as much, and now everyone recognizes that it's an actual thing, thing that needs to be dealt with. Yep. So with a play like this, you want to be careful that, you know, I look at it as a, as a record, and, um, you know, 20 years from now, you're going to look at the play, and you're going to go, that was 2013, yeah. 2014, but, you know, that's kind of the challenge as you continue doing it, and as we do it, you know, in cities and whatever, it's going to have to keep changing just a little bit. But I had to turn... Anyways, to answer your question, I tangent. Um, <laughs> no. I had to turn the writer off, and I, I did a good job of that when I needed to, and then at the end of rehearsal, we'd talk about, you know, what um, what should be changed or just looked at and have those conversations. And it was, a, it, was, it was such a pleasure. That process was a gift from God. I will never forget that for the rest of my life. It was... It was it was just such a, it was an honor, that, that all of it. It was just awesome. While we're still on the subject of, of solo work, yeah. um, I would, I, I would, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that people, when they think of solo plays, as you were talking about earlier, usually they're very, these, these very personal, precious, or autobiographical works that, that are very much written in the vacuum and often stay in that vacuum. Um, I'm, obviously you have exceeded that, but um, do you feel, as a result, do you, as a solo artist, do you feel like you dig deeper to get to your solo work? Or like when you're, you know, writing Eager to Lose, which is a very different creature. Totally. Um, do you, are you accessing a, de- a deeper place, do you think? I, th- I think, um, well, I mean, I would never do anything autobiographical because I'm just not that interesting, first of all. <laughs> I beg to differ. <laughs> um, so... I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think I, I have to dig differently because, um, you know, I'm playing a, a 50-year-old Ukrainian manicurist. You know, in this case of Handbook, I'm playing a, yeah. you know, I'm, there's a lot of different dialects and there's a lot of different, um, I'm playing a lot of different cultures and ages and genders. And, you know, I'm playing a, a deaf Mennonite girl, too, who's doing sign language. So there's a lot of physical alterations that are happening. And again, subtly. So I'm trying to, yeah, I have to root it all on my truth. So I, just, I think I have to dig differently to make sure that I'm not playing caricatures right. as opposed to like, hey, I'm Matthew Lee Erlbach and, you know, I almost got kidnapped when I was six, which is true. I almost did get kidnapped, but I'm not going to write a solo play about it because, yeah. but I, um, <laughs> yeah, I almost just <laughs> no, got I'm... kidnapped. Let me just throw that out there. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to go on a limb and say that you're a very political artist. Would you define yourself that way? Um, Just based on the work that I've seen and known and and sure, read I mean, about. I yeah, I, um, yes, I'm careful of calling myself a political artist. Mm-hmm. I know it's a it's a weird buzzword. Well, I just think that all art is political, whether you're intending it to be or not. Mm-hmm. And so I think that my what I'm trying to do is this is going to sound so. F- pretentious but please. I feel like like please sound pretentious <laughs> um i feel like i don't know I feel, I feel like it's you know we're i feel like we're public servants in a way mm. and so i want to contribute i want to help and so i feel like mm, the stories that i'm drawn to are ones that i feel that if told and told in certain ways can be helpful um and i like knowing what's going on in the world um, and in my community. But, yeah. But then I'm also working on a play that has nothing that's not... Well, I guess it's kind of... Well, whatever. Anyway, yeah. 
do you feel, do you feel like every once in a while you have to have a project that's just like not about history or or race or, or, or race war or, or oil or yeah you know, <laughs> um yeah of course I mean I I was going to say that I'm I'm working on a, a play right now about um about a 67 year old woman a love affair between a 67 year old woman and uh, a 21 year old guy and it wow. takes place in the future uh, kind of a timeless future it takes place tomorrow in quotes okay um again I, i'm so pretentious i love um, it i love it this is fun tomorrow <laughs> f- you tomorrow <laughs> uh yeah so but i mean that's a that's a story about you know um mortality and uh, age and um sex and love and so that's not political but again like it's where we're where we are there's political overtones to it because mm-hmm. of choices that we made and um i like to write plays that are warnings i think um i, I like to, cautionary tales yeah cautionary tales parables rod serling you know who did twilight zone mm-hmm. is you know one of my heroes and he he just he was he was a genius writer and he wrote these half hour parables that use science fiction to um unpack who we were as a society in the late 50s and early 60s so i I look to him as a big inspiration in in what i'm doing and you know trying to find that and you know when when we did eager to lose which is a you know now now for something completely different Uh it's a burlesque uh farce and rhyming verse i mean that that was really a happy accident. I I never would have come to that on my own. I remember when you started that piece. Yeah, it was, was um it's crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And that was like I don't know what we're going to do and um and again talk about, you know, having great collaborators with the best team possible and Ars Nova is, you know, I, I can't say enough yeah, great things about them. Amazing. They're amazing. And you know, that was not I. There was nothing political about that piece, but then Jason Egan was like, "Look, you wrote, you wrote something that has political resonance, and you weren't even trying to, because <laughs> there's, you know, just 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 in burlesque, you know, we bring our own, and this is a big lesson for me. We bring our own history, we bring our own baggage, we bring our own context to something. This is what I mean by all art is political, whether you intend it to be or not. Is we're all bringing something, our own experience onto something. So it's like it's like um." blind casting you know we're going to if we see an interracial couple on stage we like to think that we're very pc but we clock that and so that's information so there's there's we're always kind of we're always loading things onto things onto art Hmm. and you know there's there every everything is political even you know you take a red painting that is political because if you bring that to china obviously or russia like you know that's the color of communism and you know you bring it somewhere else where red means something different this is probably a example but you know what i mean yeah, like yeah, yeah. we're 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 bringing this we're just we're just heavy with history and perspective and all this so you know i think that was a cool thing about ear to lose was that it was just a fun you know sexy romp and yeah, sure, it was political if you wanted it to be, but mm-hmm. it didn't have to be. Yep, this so could be you know, seeing a pretty girl and pretty girl talking verse and be funny. Yeah, and which uh, it was, which it was, yeah, and it was also you know liberated, <laughs> but also not. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so while we're on the topic of things like eager to lose, you also I've I've seen the word farce show up in your bio a couple of times. Yeah. So so you're this. 
you're, um, I'm going to give you labels. I'm labeling you as a political farces. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, there's worse, there's, worse things, there's worse things to be called. I, I, I agree. Um, yeah. So what is your what, – what draws you there? Because, I, I mean, you know, you, you work for Nickelodeon. Yeah. You know, you know, you know your humor. You know your – you know, there's, there's a lot of joy in what you do, I think. And well, That's um, really good to hear. Yeah. And so I just – I, I love your knack for farce. I just want to talk about where does that come from? Um, <laughs> my, my family. The, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I love I'm I love comedy. So my comedy, you know, like, you know, was either really bone dry, which gets me in trouble a lot just as a person. Um <laughs> We'll but get it, there. We'll get there. And um, but it also be really wet, like Eager to Lose or Doppelganger, this new farce that I'm working yeah. on. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I yeah. Pol- I, I guess I could be a political farcist. Sure. <laughs> I like you comedy. Accept it? I accept it. I, I accept. I accept absurdity. It's all a farce. This is all a farce. Watch the news. The news is a farce. I mean, tell me, please. The bridge, this whole capo thing with Christie and the bridge. It's so silly. Just, and that's a really superficial thing. But, like, that's just such a, like, that's ripe for, it's absurd. That's, I mean, that's why you have Daily Show and Colbert. Because it is absurd. It is theatrical. Our, our, our society is very theatrical. Even, you know, gendered bathrooms. It's like, everywhere we go, we're divided. You know, we're told how different we are. Like, you know, we need to, you know, black and white and male and female and bisexual and it just everything is like everything needs a label political farces there we go. see here we go <laughs> you're the man joel stop repressing me i'm sorry i'm Jesus sorry Christ. damn it um so that doesn't segue into anything <laughs> <laughs> wait i want to help you segue um i was wanting to talk about uh tv and film versus theater yeah so because you, you're because you, you've got you i mean you've got so many hands and so many pies um how did TV and films stumble into – how did you stumble into it? As a writer or an actor or both? Both, both. Well, my day job is at Nickelodeon. It's really fun. I, I, I could be doing other things that aren't as fun. It's really a joy to go to work every day and work with cartoons and some live-action stuff too, like Power Rangers. So Go, go. Go, go, man. It's like I think they've had they're super. It's Power Rangers super mega, super mega force right now. There's been like 26 iterations. There's been so many. It will never end no. because it's a perfect archetype. I mean, it's a team. They come together. They create a robot. You know, the Megazord or the Super Megazord or the whatever for Jungle Fury or Super Samurai Time Force. I can name them all. There's a lot of them. That is amazing. And so you know they they form their thing and they fight a villain and it's the same formula and it just. It's it's amazing that 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 story architecture and those character archetypes and those powers just seem to, you know, just put a different coat of paint on it and it transcends yeah. for two decades. No. I still just remember the first one. We um, I had Amy Joe on the show recently, and I teased you her asked her about that. I, yes, I heard that. That's funny. So I'm really glad that the Power Rangers are becoming a theme in this season <laughs> of something new. Go go something new. Uh, yes. So, so stumbling into TV and, and film. Yeah. That was, um, I mean, you obviously can reach more people doing TV than you can theater um, and film. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I had accidentally gotten a job at WWE. Um, and wrestling. TV wrestling. Wrestling. And that was an ad on Craigslist that I answered. And that was my first real job. And I lied to get that job. 
I did. I mean, I, you know, they saw my work, so they knew that I could do that. But, like, on paper, I really didn't have the experience. But I lied and Fake said that I did. It. Fake it till you make it. It's the truest thing. And so I was there for two years. I mean, and what were you doing? Were you? I mean, I just the, – the, the cartoon in my head is you, you know, right here, round one, you know, in – um, Hulk Hogan, like that's my that's my wrestling reference. Hulk Hogan. Well, Hulk Hogan is now with TNA or Impact Wrestling. I don't even know if he's with them anymore. Um, well, but I got my face. But <laughs> hey, I don't even know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I started off writing copy in the ad department there, and then okay. I got to work on storylines for the shows, and uh, then I started working on WWE Films, which is the new division that they had just started around the time that I, you know, around those like ten. I guess six to ten months that I was like kind of starting to be on my way out, and we we're doing all this. We did this uh, film with um, did a film with Danny Glover, and um, uh, now I'm forgetting what's her name and what's his name. Ed Harris and Natasha. No, anyways, Ed Harris and someone else. And um, I remember working on these, and you know, like giving script notes, and it's just you know going like these are terrible films. Are these wrestling films? No, like story, they're starring wrestling no, stars. No, they're like legit films that have like a superstar in them. They're not wrestlers, by the way. They're, no. they're superstars. Okay. Oh, they're, and and I'm sorry. there's no female wrestlers. They're called divas. So that that's the vocabulary. It's so RuPaul. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, no, but so yeah, and then I um, I made this campaign for WrestleMania 25 that I did um how to prepare for wrestlemania that was like really kind of out there comedy and um i got to you know in all of these jobs i really get to kind of bring people outside of what i'm doing into what i'm doing and you know just play with my friends and that's all i want to do is just i want to play with my friends i don't want to work i don't want to work yeah who wants to work it's just play so yeah so that's wwe and then i got this job at nick and um, that's been really fun. And I just did this overnight block called Sea Battle, which is this MS DOS like virus that takes over the network at night. And yeah, so I get I get to do fun. I things. love it. I love it. Yeah. You can't. I'm I'm just smiling ear to ear. I'm just, like I that's I think that's really really cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um. And how how different is that world from theater? Um. Uh, it's. There's a sense of urgency that's different in television because you're dealing, I mean, you know, I deal with two budgets that are like $200,000 and that money goes like that. Uh And that's a great budget for a play or a musical. It's a great budget. I'd love that budget. You know, um, the handbook was done on like pennies. So (laughs) uh, it's a, there's a different sense of urgency. There's a different um, kind of peacocking that goes on. Um, but it's also, um, it's easier to make money in TV. If I mean, it's harder to make money in theater. And I, I, I think there's a different community around both too. Um, it's, I don't know. It's, uh, it's different. Theater's scrappier. It's, it's very DIY, but it's also really expensive. So I like, you hmm. know, it's kind of, it's, it's, I don't know. It's different. There's um there's a speed to TV. Everything changes so fast because yeah. if you're working in like, you know, sometimes we'll do something branded for, um, you know, like well, they're called billboards. If you're doing something for like uh, a client or like the you know Nickelodeon's constantly tap dancing to what Disney is doing, and like we just had a huge change of programming and aesthetic and brand identity. So 
a lot, you know, all the networks in the Nickelodeon family, Teen Nick and Nicktoons, and um, I guess the younger networks didn't have to adjust so much, but we all had to adjust our programming and our schedules. And you know, Nicktoons is doing a big rebrand right now, and you know, you're you're just there's you're spending a hundred thousand dollars for a graphics comp to giving to a graphics company to do your whole network packaging and to do you know, you're acquiring new content and then you know the, it doesn't do well it doesn't get good ratings so it gets canned after you know 10 episodes and then you're you know there's more money for a whole new series and so it's just it's all about advertising here's the difference here's the difference tv is all about advertising and you're going to see that big difference now like netflix and amazon and hulu and these you know those are I think are going to be the new networks. And what you're going to see is like the Texaco hour back in the day, uh-huh. these big companies like Coca-Cola and McDonald's and whomever are going to say, or Burt's beeswax, you know, maybe uh, for the, for the Portlandias and you know, whatever <laughs> yeah. they're going to say, we're going to put aside this money <clears throat> um, and we're going to call it marketing money, but we're going to, um, it's going to be a production arm. And so it's going to be like, craft TV dramas back in the day or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to see Coca-Cola presents Arrested Development on Netflix or whatever. And that's how, because there's no ads. It's not ad-supported. It's subscription-based. So how do you get your brand in that kind of silo? It's 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 very different. So I think we're going to be seeing that difference a lot. And um, I don't think you see that same kind of branded content in theater the same way. Why are performing and writing both necessary for you um because i i mean i i don't because know they just are yeah. i have no choice i really don't like i i just have to do both my body and my mind have to do both and if there's anyone out there listening who's an actor who's thinking about producing a solo work or thinking about uh, creating something because that, that's something i wanted to talk to you about was um creating work for yourself. You know, I, you, you, you have plenty of, of work in general, it seems, but, um, you know, no one made you write Handbook. No mm. one made you write Eager to Lose. No one made you write Roger the Chicken and produce it and star in it and get nominated for awards for it. No one made you do any of that. Mm. And and I would think the, the quote-unquote easier way to, to do it was just to kind of, like, wait for opportunities to come and so I'm just I'm watching you shake your head, and I'm very excited. Um, so so I you know I I, I know my, my subscription base is a, is a lot of actors, and so I would love um, yeah. any advice you have about just why you felt the pull to to create things and um, instead of waiting for them. Well, one I'm I'm extremely impatient, and um, I I. You know, here's a, here's a, a shitty little story for you. Please. So, um, I was I went to Frankie Camp, which was what is uh, that? Frankie Camp is when you get really far in auditions for Jersey Boys for Frankie Valley. Oh my god! And so um, I was in Frankie Camp with three other people, and I was serving tables in the meatpacking district, and I was like, "This is going to happen." I was certain of it, and I, I mean, I'd even gone to. I had seen it a bunch of times when I was in this process, and then because I'd been called back so many times over like these weeks, and I was standing in back, and I'd gotten a standing room only ticket, and there was this woman whose name I forget, and I feel terrible. And she's like, you know, we just started talking, and uh, she says, "What do you do?" I said, "Well, I'm an actor," and she said, "Oh, that's that's great. If, you know, it's the first time you're seeing it." And I said, "Yeah, it's the first time I'm seeing it. Um, I'm you know I'm up for 
the I guess it was the it was an understudy Broadway tour, you know, kind of how they kind of you know uh-huh. do that yeah, whole yeah. process, and then you know eventually you're on Broadway, and but they kind of got to tour you, tour you first and whatever. Yep. And so she's like, "Well, you need to see this again." And so she wrote me a check to get a ticket so I could see it again. What? I was like, I said, you can't do this. And she's like, well, I have to do it because I support the arts. And so she wrote me this check. Oh, my God. I want to cry. I know. It was it was really beautiful. And um, she lived in Utah, and um, I got her number and thanked her. And I know my mom was like, oh, well, I want to call this woman. And so my mom <laughs> called her. And, you know, it was, uh, it, was, it was really nice. And then got down to it, and I didn't get it. And I remember going back to my waiter job afterwards and the manager was, um, he was telling a table cause everyone was really excited. Um, and he was like, you know, uh, you know, Matt's going to be on Broadway. Matt, come over here. Tell him, tell him about Jersey boys. He's going to any, any day now he's going to hear. It. And I had found out that day that I didn't get it oh, uh, right before I had gotten to my, to my shift. And, and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I'll hear any day now, you know, whatever it was, but I knew, and it was really sad. And, Every day at work, um, you know, we had these receipt rolls, um, and you could, like, press the button and get, like, blank paper yep. out. And and I still have tons of these, and I'd be writing all the time on these on this paper. And I'd leave with, like, a scroll of paper of, like, whatever I was writing on or dialogue for – at the time I was working on this specific place, so I had dialogue and, you know, story – structure in the story and whatever. And I remember thinking to myself – and I would do this all the time. I was – you know, I was a terrible server. I just did not want to be there. <laughs> and and I remember that night I was, you know, writing on the roll and, uh, and you know, shoving it back in my pocket, going to the table. And I remember it hit me just how empowering that was to be in control of the story that I was telling and not be at the whim of the system and come so close and just lose it. And so that really activated this other part of me that had been kind of there and dormant and like, oh yeah, this is fun. And then it became, you know, I have to do this. I have a lot that I want to say. Um, and I want to keep getting better as a writer. I don't want to be auditioning for, you know, I mean, I like, I hate auditioning. I love performing. I I love acting, but I hate, I hate spending, you know, days preparing for sides and then, you know, so many sides, you know, they give you six different sides. You have two days to, you know, uh, go over this. You have lots of other things to do. You go in, um, they only choose one and, you know, it, it's just, you know, it, it, it's, you're like, you're, 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 you're investing so much for, two minutes in a room or whatever it is. And then, you know, if you get, keep getting called back, that's awesome. And then you don't get it. Or if you just go in and you don't get called back and that's it, it's really hard. So I thought, you know, I, uh, the system will help me when it can help me. And when it can't, I'm just going to keep doing my own thing and not rely on anybody. Um, and yeah, and just try to keep making the work good and work with people who share the same vision and can make the vision, the collective vision better and just not be precious about anything and really listen. And how do you keep making the work better and better? And that's, you know, that was more interesting to me. I came here to do work. I didn't come here to wait for someone else to give me the opportunity. And so, um, 
that's what I did and that's what I've been doing. And, you know, it's led to opportunities. You know, I keep calling it the system now. I sound like a dick. But, you know, the, you know there's, a, there's a recognition for that. I think for any stand-ups, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think everyone does this. Um, certainly you yeah, composers, no, no, we're absolutely. all just continuing to do because if you sit around and send something out or audition or, you know, set a script out or whatever, and you're waiting for something to get back to you, you know, you're, you're just kind of left with wait. Yeah. Just going to keep waiting. That's, that's, that's no way to spend a life. Nope. Our lives are so short. We need to keep creating and keep just giving the life back. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's where that comes from, I guess. Yeah. That's so, a great story. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry you're not in Jersey Boys. I know, me too. I was so bummed. <laughs> That's what I took away. I'm like, oh. <laughs> That's the takeaway from that. Uh, when I, it's, it's actually, it's kind, of, uh, it's kind of Pavlovian every time I hear the Four Seasons on a radio. I just, Grocery store, yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Where I live, they played nothing but 80s music. And then every now and then, a Jersey Boy, or not Jersey Boys, a Four Seasons song will cover Frankie Valley or whatever. And it's just like, it's a tap on the shoulder every time. It's a, I mean, I'm actually over it. Yeah, I just think yeah, it's yeah. funny now. But You're doing cooler things anyway, if yeah. I may say so. Well, thanks. I think so, too. Because we're talking about creating work mm-hmm. and not waiting. And um, you've created solo work and you've created um, TV content and plays. And then along comes Roger the Chicken. Yeah. Um why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I ask myself that all the time. Because um, it's really funny. Thank you very I, much. I enjoy it very much. I like the theme song. I like, you know, it's just, it's really well produced too. Thank by you. By the way, it's gorgeous. Thank you. And um, and the writing's yep. hilarious and the cast is spot on and that's a great chicken suit. That's a great chicken suit. Um, tailored by none other than Brie Perry, who's a, who's just awesome. And art directed by Mark Erbaugh, who's great. And um, DP Corey, who's a very good friend of mine, who's, I work with him all the time. He's an excellent DP. He is just the most poetic eye. And I've learned so much about filmmaking with him. Um, he is great. And so when I... You know, when I was like, you know, I want there. There's this color palette that I was interested in, and just the whole visual aesthetic and tone. And I talked to him about it, and he's like, Yeah, we, you know, this is what we could do, and we could do this and that. And you know, we, we kind of put a, a stick and a piece of gum together, and we make it. And we actually raised money for the second season of Roger because it had started as a short. Right. The whole thing started. I, I actually don't know how the whole thing started. I think it started when Mallory, who plays my girlfriend on it, Monica. We went to high school and to undergrad together, oh, so we've known each other a long time. That's awesome. And she's um, she's finishing up at Juilliard right now. She's, you know, doing that whole thing. Great. Um, and she, I don't know. I think one of us was like, because you know, you just riff. You know, we riff all the time, and we're ridiculous together. And yeah. I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I was in a chicken suit? And I think that's how it started. Wouldn't it be funny if, oh, like, oh, just a what if situation? I think it was a what if thing, and then we just started kind of building on that, but we really didn't know what that meant. Because, like, is he, do people see him as, is it a Wilfred situation, which is the FX show where, you know, he's an actual dog, but only, uh, you know, Elijah Wood can see him as a chicken. And we actually didn't know about Wilfred when he started the whole idea. Hmm. We had not, never heard of it, but we're like, well, why is he in a chicken suit? We're like, oh, well, it's funny if he's, like, just like this post-post-uber hipster, and he, you know, he just never talks about it. It's just like kind of who he is, man. Like, he's just living his life. I love it. And so... So absurd. Yeah, and so you have this great, you know, you have this great um, opportunity for really subtle comedy there because 
how are other people responding to him? And then when he's in his own world with his, you know, hipsters and whomever, it's just kind of, yeah, man, that's Roger. But when he's in the outside, at a job interview, the job interview, it's like, well, what do I say to this guy who's in a chicken? Is he crazy? Is he just eccentric? Is, you know, like, what do you say? And so like, you know, again, like the absurdity of, of kind of culture, like, yeah. you know, how, how we're polite is something that I think is really interesting. And, um, just social protocol. Um, and also, you know, just exploiting this idea of, um, you know, identity and, you know, being in a culture that's just so in, insular that it's like, well, in his world, he's kind of like, yeah, man, Roger's a cool guy. And then when you put him out, when you take him and put him in a different, you know, tank of water, he sticks out. Yeah. And, but he doesn't even think about it. You know, it's just, He's wearing his jeans. It's just a chicken suit. <laughs> so, yeah, that's yeah. Well, what's what's next for for that? Are you gonna do a third? We have a. Uh, we just got picked up by um, IFC for three seasons. And, what? No, I'm kidding. I wish. Oh, I'm sorry. It. That was so unfair. That was so mean. I, I know. That I was, was getting like an exclusive. I know. Scoop. I, I wish I could give you a scoop. That would oh, be awesome. Man. We are. Um, <laughs> so shit, man. So I'm so mad. sorry. I know. I, I'm mad at myself because I feel like I've let you down. We are. Uh, we're. We're. We're figuring it out right now, um, and figuring out what the best next steps are. I mean, I think for something like this, you know, everyone's like, "Oh, new media is you know the the, the wild west." But you see a lot of web series getting picked up, like um, Broad City, which is now in Comedy Central, which yep. is really funny, and I think High Maintenance, which I think is just this the smartest, most well produced. Well acted, just everything about it is just just perfect. Hmm. Um, high maintenance is. I think they got um, picked up by HBO. Maybe I'm not sure, but that. I mean, the premise is simple. Everything about that is just perfect. And so, I think it's kind of luck of the draw. What are people looking for? What do they have space for? Do they, you know, what what can we do? And so I, I, we're figuring that out right now. Cool. Um, but there'll definitely be more. That's for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Well, on that note, um, now is the time where we set up the song. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's time. It's it's time. It's time. All right. Um, So Matt was so kind enough to learn and rock out to uh, my song, Tear Me to Pieces, which is from To Hell and Back, which is my Orpheus and Eurydice piece. Tear Me to Pieces is at the, like, kind of the penultimate moment. Um, You know, our hero, Jack, has unfortunately turned around on that, you know, fateful drive back from the underworld, back to Omaha, and um, he turns around and just a second too soon, and his girlfriend is is lost to the underworld forever. And so um, this is the first moment where Jack really allows himself to feel every stage of grief that there is, um, that we've kind of visited along the way, and they're all present in this moment, and um, and Jack just starts begging for death, uh, very similar to the myth. And, um, yeah, so another feel-good song on something new. <laughs> um, but, no, Matt, Matt really does rock, uh, rock it and knock it out of the park. Uh, we're featuring Jay O'Connor Navarro on piano and Tim Likens on percussion. It's the first time we've per- had percussion on the show. It's very exciting. It's very, he's very good. They're both very good. Aren't they? Yeah. yeah. And the song, of course, is just awesome. Well, so. thank you very much. But you know, you rocked it and brought so much fun color to it, and it was it was a really, it was fun because it's the first time the the song is technically like three years old, 
but I've um, and it's it's existed in the piece for a while and kind of been waiting for the right opportunity and finally along came Matthew Lee Erlbach. Along, and... along came Polly. Isn't that a movie? I think so. With Drew Barrymore? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that. Along came Matthew. <laughs> along came Matthew. Um, remember, if you like Tear Me to Pieces, and I'm sure you will, it's available for free download on my SoundCloud page. That is until the next episode. And if you'd like to request sheet music, you may do so at joelbnew at gmail.com for a free PDF. Uh, make sure you visit matthewlee.com, and there is a little uh, hyphen in there, mm-hmm. uh, matthew-lee.com, uh, to find out all the awesome, absurd political things that that Matthew's up to. It's not, I'm te- <clears throat> yeah. I'm teasing. I know. Um, let's see Make sure you're also following me on all uh, things social media, and you may find all those links and so much more on joelbinu.com. While you're there, feel free to click on the podcast donate link. Any and all contributions go toward production costs and are supremely appreciated. Subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast and tell your friends all about it. Uh, Special thanks to Peyton Royal at Website Lines, Stephanie Layton at Red Scandal Graphics, uh, today's accompanists, Jay Navarro and Tim Likens, uh, True Voice Studios NYC, so glad to be back, uh, True Voice Studios NYC.com, and that's true without the E, uh, 212-245-2441, perfect for voice lessons, group classes, coachings, recording, and singer showcases, and podcasts. Last but not least... Matthew Lee Erlbach, thank you so much for being on my little show. Joel, thank you. It's not a little show, and thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. I was such, it was so much fun. From True Voice Studios NYC at Columbus Circle, this is Joel B. New. And Matthew Lee Erlbach. Saying thank you for dropping by for something new.
tear me to pieces Sticks and stones Do your worst Don't pretend to try to like me Yeah.